Well, we've been walking through this series, Apostello. We've been talking about what it looks like and what it means to live a sent life, how to live a sent life. You've been walking through the Tangible Kingdom Primer. You've been listening to these messages. We've been hopefully experiencing God bringing light to different areas in our lives of what it means to live a sent life, sent into the places that we already are and sent as representatives of Jesus. So this morning, I won't be speaking. If you noticed in your bulletin, someone else is speaking this morning, and it is another Schneider. And she is not only a, uh, a wonderful wife and a mother of five kids, she's also an accomplished blogger and uh, fairly involved in that. If you haven't checked that out, you should. It's good. Uh, she also is more importantly, and she's a, you know, not only the wife of a pastor who's also, she's been involved in ministry for over 10 years. Not only that, but most importantly, she's a daughter of God with a heart that loves people and a heart that welcomes people. And people have experienced that, and that's one of the reasons why we're having her speak this morning to bring and share about God's inviting heart. So I'd like you to welcome Sarah Snyder to come and bring the message this morning. I also came in and was setting up this morning, and Tom told me that it was okay if I drank one of the glasses of water, and my response was, I get to drink the water? This is so awesome. I'll probably be too nervous and forget to drink the water. But... That's okay. I'm just really honored to be here with you guys today. Um, We so love Pastor Jim and Annette, and um, don't you guys just love them? They are so awesome, Um, and as we've had them as leaders and been able to walk alongside them and see their lives really unfolded and have become friends, and we just love this church body um, and always love it whenever we get to come over to St. Paul, since we're normally in Minneapolis, um, but it's just a joy to be here. And yes, I'm not the normal Snyder that, speak, that usually speaks. I'm much shorter, um, but yeah, it's great. Um, when I grew up, I always knew what I wanted to be. I was one of those kids that always had an answer if you were to ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up, Sarah? And my response was that I wanted to be a first grade teacher. I think I kind of thought that first grade was a good age because you didn't really have to deal with the kindergartners that still weren't quite potty trained, Um, but maybe they weren't old enough yet that you didn't have all the attitudes and stuff. But whatever the case was, I always wanted to be a first grade teacher. And so as I got closer to high school, um, I realized that scholarships were going to be really important to be able to go to a university um, because I came from a family of four um, siblings. And so I did my best to try to work on grades and get involved in extracurricular activities so that I would be all ready to fill out those scholarships when it came time um, to fill out applications. Um, And so it was about halfway through my senior year, and my dad and I were driving my sister back to college where she was going to. Um, She's my older sister, and so um, she was attending a Bible college. And I knew one thing, and that was that I was not going to go to this Bible college. Um, I definitely knew that, and so, but I was just along for the ride, and so we took her back after Christmas break and dropped her off, and God just really started working on my heart during that experience, that short time there, and um, I just really, as we left, I thought, man, I really feel like I'm maybe supposed to go to school here, but I was planning on going to a big university, and 
had no plans to go to this Bible college. And I'll never forget um, riding back. It was just me and my dad in the car. And I said, Dad, um, I kind of think that maybe I'm supposed to go to Bible college. And I'll never forget him sitting there driving the car and this big smile on his face. And it was like, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) You know, we've been praying for you, your mom and I. We really wanted you to do this, but we weren't going to make you. And it's totally got to be your decision. Um, and I was like, all right, Dad, you, you guys prayed enough. I think I'm, I'm going to go this route. And so it kind of changed everything mid-senior year. And I also knew that because of making that decision that I wouldn't really be able to um, apply for the scholarships that I had wanted to. Um, this was a non-accredited school at the time, and so you, you know, in order to fill out these scholarships, it had to be you were going to an accredited school. Um, and so I thought, okay, well, we'll just see what happens. Well, My guidance counselor that year came up to me, and when she found out what school I was going to be going to, and she said, Sarah, there's this brand new scholarship this year, and somebody's um, putting a scholarship together for one student, and it's actually for somebody that's going to go to Bible school. Now, I was in a public school, so this is kind of weird to begin with, but a family had put together, and they wanted to give a scholarship to somebody that was going to Bible school. And so I thought, okay, well, I'll apply for this one scholarship. And as we had the uh, award night and all the seniors were there because they were going to be handing out all the different scholarships, and the last one they gave out was this one to somebody um, that might be going to Bible school. And so as I listened and anticipated to hear who they were going to say got it, they said my name, and I was just so, um, yeah, thank you, Jesus. But as I got up there and then thought, yes, all my hard work has paid off, Um, Later, I found out that I was the only one out of everyone that applied for the scholarship that was actually going to Bible college. Um, But it was just a huge blessing. Um, I remember after that, you know, in our high school um, hallway, we had a teacher that would put up whenever somebody had decided where they were going to school. The seniors, she put up our name and then the the college we were going to. So mine said Sarah, and it said um, Elam Bible Institute. And so all my friends after that point came up to me and said, so, Sarah, you want to become a nun? (laughs) I don't think anyone really understood it, and I don't think I really understood it either, except that I was so grateful for that experience and for the time that I spent at Bible school and just really that it's a transformation, and it's so much more, thankfully, than just learning some Bible knowledge. Um, But God did some great things in my life during that time, and one of the really great things was getting to meet Sam, we were actually in the same class, and so we studied together for the three years that we were there. And um, it was just really awesome to see how God's used so many things along the way. Um, today we're going to be talking about inviting in, and it's a part of the series that's been happening, and it's a part, if you've been following along at all, in the book or the primer, um, it's a chapter in there. And, you know, growing up, I had a great example of parents who were always inviting people in. They were always opening up their home to people. Um, I clearly remember just, I I was in a room, because there were four of us, we didn't necessarily have a guest room that was available, but my room had two twin beds, and my sister's room had a double bed, and so whenever somebody came and needed a place to stay, then we would just move to each other's rooms based on which bed was needed. Sometimes we would even both go sleep on the floor in my brother's room if more beds were needed. So it was just this kind of thing that we were used to doing. I also remember as I was growing up learning how to set the table and ask mom, how many people are coming to eat with us today? 
because I'd always have to determine, okay, how many plates do we need? I learned how to, where to put the fork and where to put the knife and just how many people are we having. So this is kind of what I grew up with um, experiencing. And in particular, there was one person that came and stayed with us when I was about nine or ten years old. And um, the church that we were going to just asked my parents, this person's coming in, um, would you be able to have him stay at your home? And so it was just a normal thing. So, yeah, sure, we'll have him come in. And um, we grew to know him and love him, and his name was Pastor Alfred. He was from Ghana, West Africa. And so he didn't always come every year to stay with us, but when he would come, um, he would always be at our home and just kind of come and go as needed. But I remember those meals that we would have around the dining room table and as he'd tell us about his culture in Ghana and we would get to learn and experience things and as he would talk about God and the way God was moving and it was just a normal thing as a child growing up in this experience and getting to hear these awesome stories about God. Um, you would think after experiencing all that that then when Sam and I got married, I would have been a pro at inviting people in. Um, we did, it was after we graduated college, then it was a year later that we got married. And um, Sam was working as the youth pastor in Breckenridge, Minnesota. And so after we got married, I moved out here to Minnesota um, to be with him. And we were living in the parsonage that was two doors down from the church. So there was literally no commute time for him to work. He just walked out one door and walked into the other. Um, I was not working that first year that we were married, and so we pretty much saw each other all the time. We would have all of our meals together. So it was like, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner, three dates a day, 21 dates a week, 84 dates a month. That was my life. Um, and it was wonderful getting to spend time together. Um, but I remember working there with the youth, there was this one young teenager that would always come by the house. And he would come by sometimes, and, you know, it never really seemed like a good time, and you never knew how long he was going to stay for. Sometimes it would be a short while, sometimes it would be a longer while. And I'm pretty sure that by my response to him, he probably didn't feel that invited in after a few visits. In fact, I even remember one time I saw him coming down the street towards our house, out the window, and dinner was already in the oven, you know, and I'm, I'm used to cooking for two. How am I going to cook for three? You know, it's such a weird to think of those days. Um, now I cook for seven. Um, so it was, you know, I don't know if we have enough food for one more person. And I remember telling Sam, go down to the door. Can you catch him at the door? Don't have him come in because I really don't want to invite him in for dinner. Um, now, you know, years later, that was probably almost nine years ago, um, it is such a joy every time this young man calls. And we don't necessarily live near each other, but whenever he calls, Sam knows that he can answer that call, that he belongs, that we love him dearly. Um, but just thinking back to what my experience was when we first started out, um, things have kind of, were a little off there. Have you ever experienced a time where you kind of had the same thing? Maybe you didn't want to be bothered. Maybe you were concerned about your time. Maybe you were concerned about your needs or your wants. Um, you know, there's all these different reasons why sometimes we don't want to be inviting. And we're not just going to talk today about inviting somebody into your home. It's more of a lifestyle and inviting somebody into your life. But I know sometimes there's just things that hinder us from that. Um, but have you also maybe been the one that's been accepted by somebody? 
where somebody accepted you in and where you felt love from that and you felt um, maybe even the love of Jesus from them as they accepted you in. Um, it's just really a powerful thing to feel accepted. So what does it mean to live a life that invites others in? Um, you know, probably the greatest example I can think of is the life of Jesus. And he was a friend of sinners. In Mark, it talks about how he sat with sinners. And people would always kind of look at that and say, you know, why, why are you with the sinners, Jesus? Um, but it didn't matter to him that people had their life together. It didn't matter that they acted a certain way or had to kind of clean things up that he just wanted to be with them. Um, a story in Luke 19 about Zacchaeus, and if you grew up in Sunday school like me, you probably want to sing the song, but we're not going to sing the song. Um, but the story kind of goes that Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and there was a crowd of people gathered, and Jesus was coming and um, Zacchaeus couldn't see above the crowd, and so he climbed up into the tree and um, wanted to just get a glimpse of Jesus. And as Jesus passed by and came towards him, um, Jesus called Zacchaeus out of the tree and said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house today. Um, and as soon as that happened, and Zacchaeus came down, and all the people again started talking about he's going into the home of a sinner. You know, he's going into the home of a sinner. Zacchaeus didn't necessarily believe in God yet, believe in Jesus, but he was going into his home, and Christ was saying, you belong. Why would Jesus do something like that? Would you have done that? You know, Jesus could have said, you know, Zacchaeus, why don't you get your life in order? Why don't you get things the way they should be? Then when I come through town next time, then maybe we can go grab a latte together. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't require Zacchaeus to believe in order to belong, as if he would be rewarded with a relationship if he were to believe. Zacchaeus demonstrated his belief after Jesus accepted him. And sometimes as Christians, we get it backwards. We expect people to believe before we allow them to belong, but that's not what Jesus did. And in my own mind, this has really been a shift that's been happening. You know, you don't even realize some, sometimes the way that you're thinking, um, but really thinking about this as if, okay, it's not about somebody getting their life together and acting a certain way, and then I'm going to accept them, and, and, they're, and they're welcome in my life and in my home, or, you know, any aspect of that. Um, I, when I was 14 years old, I um, went on my first missions trip, and I got the opportunity to go with my youth group to the 1996 Atlanta, Georgia Olympics, suffering for Jesus. Um, and if you are going to do the math, that means that I'm 31, just so you don't get distracted by that. Um, but I was 14 years old, going on my first missions trip, and I was just so excited to be experiencing that. Um, and so our main thrust, we did get to go on to a women's basketball game while we were there, but our main thing was evangelism. And so we were going to go down and evangelize to these crowds of people. And so as we were preparing for our trip, our group got together, and there was some, a couple that was going to come in one weekend and teach us this skit that we were going to do. It didn't necessarily have speaking parts, but it was just to music, and um, this, uh, we would perform it for people. And it kind of told the gospel story, and the setting was a ship. 
Um, and so I was shy at the time, and I was only 14, but I thought, man, this is going to be really exciting to see what kind of part I get in this, in this skit. Um, I thought, well, I can't really be Jesus because I'm a girl, so I can't be the main role, but maybe, maybe I'll get a, a good role, like, you know, next best. Um, and we did whatever we had to do so that then they would tell us what roles we were going to have. And I got my role, and I found out that I was going to be the wheel on the ship. So literally, I just had to stand there and look like a wheel and do this. And then later at the end of the skit, I was the tree, and I had to stand there like this. And that was literally my role. I had my, my lines down in about two seconds. Um, but I'll never forget going one particular day down to Atlanta, and there wasn't a huge crowd of people where we were that day, but there were enough people that we thought, okay, we're going we're gonna to set up and do our skit. And so we performed our skit, and then we were going to go out and talk to people about Jesus. And so we performed our skit, and then I saw this gentleman sitting on a bench, and I decided to go over and talk to him. I have no idea what his name was. I really can't tell you anything that I remember about him. But somehow I managed to say, would you like to invite Jesus into your heart? And he said, yes. And I was like, yes. And so right as I was about to pray with him, another friend came over, and we just prayed, and he invited Jesus into his heart. And I was so excited. And I remember later that night, as we were back at the place where we were staying, then um, our youth pastor invited us to kind of share, if anyone wanted to share a testimony of something that had happened earlier that day. And I'll, I'll never forget my friend going up to the front and sharing about how he was so excited that he had led somebody to the Lord that day, that he had, that he had walked through somebody leading them through this prayer. And I'll never forget how upset I was. No, that was my person that I led to the Lord. That was supposed to be one for Sarah. That was the first person that I had ever walked through. Will you say this prayer? Because I so dearly wanted people to love Jesus like I did. But at that time, I remember clearly, it was about say this prayer, you know, and then we'll see how your life is transformed. Or say this prayer and then, well, we've got to go now, but Jesus loves you. And that it, the focus was on me scoring one for Jesus and not really much else. Has it ever happened to you where your main focus was trying to get somebody to repeat a prayer after you without being too concerned about their heart being in it? Or maybe you've ever expected someone to act a certain way before you would accept them. Again, growing up, sometimes I remember in our youth group, it was really without knowing it, it was believe behave, and then maybe we'll let you belong. We expected you to kind of believe in Jesus, figure out how to get your life straight, do all the right things, and then we'll accept you and you can belong. But I don't think that's the way that Jesus intends it. In fact, I really believe that people need to see our lives so they can see Jesus. You know, our lives are like a book. You are a display of the gospel. It's not just about one chapter in your life being shown for others, but it's about the multiple chapters in your life as we continue this journey in creating this book. Whether it's your children, your spouse, your neighbors, your coworkers, the barista at Starbucks, friends, everyone seeing your life lived out, everyone seeing it unfolded before them. If your life story is not compelling, authentic, or something that they can identify with, they will move on. 
And we're always in the sense of discipleship mode. It's not like we can just pick, okay, on Sunday I'm going to act this way, and on Monday I'm going to act this way with my coworkers. But everything that we do, we're either making a decision to go towards God or to go towards self. So in the decisions that we make, we're either going towards God or going towards self. And people are watching. People are all around you watching your life in this discipleship mode. You know, it's like being a mother. I can't say, well, today I'm a mom and tomorrow I'm not a mom. You know, I may get tired. I may need a break. And I may say, okay, guys, I'm going to take a few days to rest and focus on mom. But that doesn't mean that my kids stop looking at me one day and stop watching my example. And I can just say, okay, don't look at me right now while I make this decision. And that's kind of how our life is for the world to see. So how can you practically demonstrate the love of God and invite people to belong? Invite people in. If you would turn to Matthew 25, I believe there's Bibles in front if you don't have one with you. Matthew's the first book of the New Testament, but it's not in the middle of your Bible. You'll end up in Isaiah. So just kind of scroll towards about two-thirds. You'll find Matthew, and it's chapter 25, verse 34 is where we're going to start. You don't have to be a pastor or super Christian um, to do what we're going to talk about. Anyone can do this. Jesus is telling a parable here that what we do to others, we're doing to him. All right, so Matthew 25, verse 34 to 40 is where we're going to read. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. So how do we demonstrate the love of God? You know, this isn't talking about um, just Christians when you show, when, when a Christian is sick and you go visit them. This is talking about everybody, all people. Um, and I do think it's really practical. So we're going to talk about some physical needs, food and water. You know, you could have some grocery gift cards in your pocket that you could give out to somebody who needs food or in your car in the glove compartment. Shelter, offering somebody a place to stay. Maybe you would have never thought to have your kids sleep on the floor or switch rooms so that you could have room in your house if somebody needed a place to stay. You know, we've even had people that have given up their beds, the master bedroom, so that we could stay in their house. And I can't tell you what that, how that makes you feel when you show up thinking that they've invited you to stay at their house because they have an extra bed and you realize that they're giving up their bed for you. Um, Clothing. You know, sometimes we outgrow clothing, our kids outgrow clothing, passing that along to somebody that might need it, or being the recipient of somebody that's passed clothes along to you. 
literally two days ago, somebody was at our house, and they brought this pair of sneakers, and they said, my mom found these at a garage sale, and I just wanted, she wanted to know if you needed them, and they were, could Benjamin use these sneakers? And literally the week before, earlier, just days earlier, Sam had said, Benjamin needs a new pair of sneakers. And my thought was, oh, man, like, can't he just wait till I switch all the spring clothes over? I don't really want to go make a special trip just to find him sneakers. And here somebody is saying, hey, could you use these sneakers? It's about emotional needs. You know, acceptance. I was a stranger and you invited me in and feeling accepted. About encouragement. Visiting those who are isolated or disconnected that might not be able to come to you, but you can come to them. Whatever we do to others in these circumstances, we're doing to Jesus. When we open up our lives and our resources to invite others in, we're opening our lives and resources to invite Jesus in. You don't need a special spiritual gift to do this. We're going to look at another passage if you want to turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter is towards the end, about 10 pages before the last book of the Bible, it's always tricky because it's one of those small ones. First Peter chapter 4, we're going to start at verse 8. In this passage, Peter is writing to the early church and telling them that there's many things that they could be doing, but above all, they needed to love others and use their gifts to serve. So again, we're going to look at First Peter 4, starting in verse 8. <clears throat> Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength that God provides, so that on all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Um, at the beginning, it says love covers a multitude of sins. Again, we don't have to wait for people to get their lives together. It's love that covers those, those things initially. Um, each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others. So then in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. So what does it look like for you to use your gifts to invite others in? We kind of all have to look at our own lives for that. I don't know what gifts God's given you. How can... You open up your life and show God's love. Well, I'm going to break it down to three things, and the first one is open up your time. You know, you can invite somebody to spend time with you in what you're doing. You know, maybe you have a favorite sport that you like or a favorite hobby, and you could say, hey, do you want to come with me and do this? Or maybe you see somebody else has a favorite sport or a favorite hobby, and you come alongside and do it with them. Just kind of joining others in what they're doing. You could meet somebody for coffee or for lunch. You know, I think it was already mentioned at some point that we all eat 21 times a week. So just picking a meal and getting together with somebody, accepting, inviting them in. When the snow falls, go and shovel everyone's sidewalk. Aren't you glad I'm preaching this at the end of winter? <laughs> or in the fall time, you could go and rake leaves. You know, two years ago, our missional community went and raked somebody's leaves, um, a family that actually is in the neighborhood that we live in now, and we had no idea we were going to be in that neighborhood. And it was that day that we raked leaves that we met this family, and from there, this relationship began. 
And now we have a missional community where we meet in our home, and they come almost every week. And a few weeks ago, they invited us into their home, all seven of us. The food was awesome, and we just enjoyed some time together. And you know, that all started because we simply were raking leaves one day. If a party's being thrown, you could go attend it, or maybe you could host a party. If a neighbor's child is in a school play, you could show up to support them. You could bake holiday cookies for coworkers and neighbors. And we can still even do this one in the context of our own gifts. I am not a baker. I don't like to bake, and I'm not really good at cooking either, but I just do it to keep my family alive. <laughs> so I'm not a baker. But I do have the gift of being resourceful. And so when a friend of mine this past Christmas asked me if I wanted to attend a community class where you got to bake holiday cookies, it was three hours of cooking where we really weren't doing much except rolling dough out on the trays. And after three hours, you got to go home with dozens of holiday cookies, and you didn't even have to clean up. This was amazing. And then we had all these cookies to give out to neighbors. And you know, I, of course, put them on paper plates and covered them so it looked like I had made them. And I had made them, but, but not the normal way you might expect. Um, Another way is that you can open up your home and invite people in to see who you really are. You can have people over for coffee or a meal or for games. I think what I want to stress the most is that it doesn't have to be a stressful, big experience. You don't have to prepare this big, elaborate meal and put out all the china. It's just about accepting and simply inviting somebody into your home. And it's really not as hard as you think and can actually be quite simple. So when you invite people into your home, you kind of want to create a welcoming environment. How are some ways that you can do that? Well, you can offer a friendly smile, greet them at the door. Or maybe if you're not able to greet them at the door, you teach your children how to greet them at the door. And just say, welcome, come on in. There's other things you can do. I'm a big fan of this one. I like to just light a candle. Probably light way more than most people should, but even if you just had one. There's something about a flickering light. There's something about coming into a room where you can just immediately almost create a welcoming environment and you just have a candle lit. You could even play some quiet music in the background. You know, it kind of helps people be a little less nervous. There's not silence, and if somebody's not talking, not as awkward, <laughs> quiet, music, background. You know, and in order to have some music playing, you might have to turn the TV off. Having the TV on in the background, some kind, sometimes people are really used to that. But you know, turn off the TV. It really creates a more welcoming atmosphere. Now, if you're doing one of these things that I mentioned earlier, and you're inviting people over for a football game, then feel free to leave the TV on. But otherwise, in a normal atmosphere, you can turn the TV off and just maybe put some music on. We're going to get even more practical here. How to make people feel comfortable in your home. Toilet paper. When you have in your bathroom, you want to make sure that you always have an extra roll of toilet paper sitting out. Or you want people to know, maybe they don't know, but they'll go looking if they need it, and you have toilet paper underneath your bathroom sink. Um, another funny thing I, I saw a couple weeks ago 
because it wasn't funny, it was a genius. I was at um, Sarah and Andrew Howard's house, and I went to go use their bathroom, and above their doorknob was this little note, and it kind of gave you instructions on how to lock the door. I thought, man, that is genius, and I feel so much more comfortable using this bathroom. Of course, they didn't have any instructions on how to unlock the door, and I was kind of like <laughs> stuck opening it. But as I got home later that week, I realized, you know, our bathroom's kind of tricky too, and it locks really easy, but if you don't latch that door, then surprise, one of our five kids is going to walk in on you. And so I took their idea, and I just took this little piece of paper and taped it above there and said, lock and make sure it's latched. But just making somebody feel comfortable. And even back to the candle, you can light a candle and put it in your bathroom. And it just kind of helps create a wonderful atmosphere for everyone involved. <laughs> you know, another thing when somebody's in your house, people can feel really nervous sometimes, especially if they're brand new, if they, if they don't know you that well, and just giving somebody something that they can put in their hands. So maybe you offer them a drink, and you say, would you like some water, or would you like some coffee, or maybe have a few varieties of tea bags, just giving them something that they can hold in their hands. Another trick that I've learned is that when you offer somebody a selection of drinks, warm drinks, they don't always notice that you don't have the gourmet desserts out, and they're just excited because they got to pick that they wanted coffee or if they wanted tea. It's amazing. Um, Another thing when it comes to just having something in your hands or making somebody comfortable is food. You know, if you've heard my husband speak even one time, you'll know that food is a very high passion of his. Um, but in general, for all of us, it's just something that we all end up doing, and it's just nice to have something to snack on. And so I found another way to make this super easy. We like to shop because of the size of our family. We're at Sam's Club a lot or Costco. And so for $3.50, you can bring home one of these. Tortilla chips are one of the best things to keep on hand because you can feed so many people with this. You can put it away and tuck it away and pull it back out, and you can always have it on hand so you don't have to stress if more people show up. Um, it's just something, and then you have, and it's inexpensive for only $3.50. And do you know that for only $1.50 more, <laughs> you too can buy the organic bag of tortilla chips. So for $5, that's all you need to have something out to welcome people as they're in your home. You know, it's really not about this being a certain strategy, and we're going to really convince people that that they should feel welcomed by us. But the whole point in doing all of these things is to create an atmosphere where people feel welcomed, where people feel invited in. You know, I don't give somebody coffee or tea because it's my favorite thing to drink. I give it to them because I know that it's going to be more comfortable. And as we sit there and we're just sipping our coffee, we talk about Jesus. And we're sitting on the couch, and you just, it just kind of comes up because it's a part of your life. And so as another mom might sit there with me and talk about, how do you do this? How do you be a mom of five kids? Then I can honestly say, I have no idea. I have no clue, but I know that it's Jesus working in our lives. That he's taught us to take one challenge at a time. That he's taught us to take one joy at a time. And the things that open up just by having this atmosphere where you've welcomed people in.
where they know that you've accepted them, not because they have their life together, but because you care, because you truly care, and having it just be a part of your life. You know, there's another thing that can happen on the day in and day out of life, and that's prayer. It doesn't have to be something that only happens on a Sunday. It doesn't have to be something that just happens at the altar. You know, in our house, we pray for the simplest owie, and we pray for somebody coming in that hurt their back, and we pray for cancer. It's all the same in, in that we pray because we believe that Jesus can work and we believe that Jesus can heal. And the other day we had some young adults over and the one young adult, um, she was talking about something that was hurting her. And I looked at her and I smiled and Sam was in the room as well and I said, you know what Sam's going to say? And she said it right along with me. Can I pray for you? And we just stopped right there and we prayed. Because we believe that it's not that we have to convince people that there's this amazing thing about Jesus that you just need to say a prayer. But we believe that we can say, listen, this is how God's transformed my life. He can transform your life too. I'm so thankful for parents that I could grow up around and see the example of them inviting inviting others into their home. Because years later, as I grew older, and as it was just a routine thing that Pastor Alfred would come in our house, I was married, I was living here in Minnesota, and we went back home, Sam and I, to visit my parents. And Pastor Alfred happened to be staying at the house the same week that we were there. And so it was the last day that we were um, at my parents' house, and we were just getting our things together and hanging out in my dad's office. And Pastor Alfred just came through. He happened to be at the house right at that moment and was just talking to us. He said, you know, Sarah, can I pray for you? He knew that we had experienced multiple miscarriages. He knew that we had had a really hard time starting a family because we just knew each other. We had a relationship. We were just right there in my dad's office. There was absolutely nothing super spiritual about it. And he just began to pray. And I remember he prayed, God, in nine months, we asked that you would give Sarah a baby. And it's not a prayer that I recommend people praying over other people. I've never prayed that specific of a prayer over somebody. But I knew that we had a relationship. And I knew Pastor Alfred, and I knew his heart. He was a friend. And so there was this little thing inside of me that said, God, I don't know what you're doing. It's kind of gone through a lot. But if there's anything that can give me hope, to say, God, I believe in who you are, then I'm just going to hold on to that small hope. And so a month later, when we found out we were pregnant, I mean, sure, I was still fearful. I had only ever experienced losing a baby. But there was something that said, Sarah, remember that prayer. It happened in your dad's office that you weren't trying to find, but it just kind of happened because lives were crossed, paths were crossed. And so later, when our daughter was born, nine months and one day from when that prayer was prayed, it was one of the greatest miracles that I've ever seen God do in my life. And there's been many miracles since then, as our story has unfolded and as our book has been told. But I want you to know more than anything is that it just happens in the day in and the day out. It doesn't have to happen today at church. 
And as we just open up our lives and then we invite people in and we just share the love of Jesus because it's who we are and because we know that he can work in people's lives. What would it look like if we were living lives that no matter where people were at, they would feel comfortable with us as they did with Jesus? Living lives that are open-door policy, where people can see an expression of how we love God and how he loves them by how we live our lives. We're just going to take a few minutes to reflect here. You know, I think we're all at different places and you all, everyone might be different, thinking of different things, so I want to just give you a few minutes to reflect on that. To reflect on what it looks like to be a friend of sinners. Because we've all sinned. And what does it look like to open up our lives, like, even when we're tired? And what does it look like to open up our lives when all you really need to do is maybe put out some tortilla chips? But just being authentic with people. Being real and not offering this grand solution of this is how I think you should fix your problems. But this is how God loves you because he loves me and I've seen it. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that you've accepted us all. I thank you that we all belong. I thank you that none of us can walk away saying that I don't feel accepted or belonged by you because you love us all. And God, even when we, we as sinners have messed up lives, you still love us, and you can change us, and you can enter in, God, and, and do awesome transformations, that we can say there's nothing special about what we've done, but it's all the glory to God. Lord, I pray that even as we're here right now, that you lay in our hearts the things that you want us to do the pieces that you want us to play, the people that you want us to just reach out a little bit more, just go a little bit beyond your comfort zone because it could be really great and it could be really wonderful. And you don't have to try to convince them to just repeat this prayer, but that you can show them your love, God. So this morning I want to encourage you, if you haven't experienced the love of God in that way and you haven't known the acceptance of God as Father, where he welcomes you into his household, into his family, and says, you're my child. If you haven't experienced that, I want to invite you to, just like the story of Zacchaeus, I would encourage you to grab a Bible and read that story. But invite Jesus into your home, figuratively speaking. Invite him into your life to say, Jesus, you're welcome here. And when he's there, he will show you what, just by his very presence, he will begin to show you what things need to go. Zacchaeus knew, if I've stolen from anyone, and he knew he had, I will pay back four times. And besides that, I'm going to sell half of my possessions, the things he legitimately owned. I'm going to sell half of that and give it to the poor. Because God did something in his heart where he was changed. So if you're here this morning and you haven't, invited Jesus into your life, I want to encourage you to do that. And I want to encourage you to talk to somebody about it and get connected with somebody to start walking out. What does this look like to live a life where Jesus is welcome in my life? But if this morning you're here and God's been challenging you in some specific area where you need to open up your life, you need to open up your heart, your time, or your home 
to somebody and show them the love of God. Demonstrate the love of God. I want to encourage you, this week, do something. Don't say, someday I'm going to invite that person over. Someday I'm going to get together with my coworker. Someday, yeah, that was good. I should, call, I should talk to that person. I should really talk to the neighbor nobody else wants to talk to. This week, take some steps to do that. And I would encourage you to even commit that to God in prayer and ask God to open up the doors. When I pray for opportunities, I find that I have them. So pray for those opportunities. And what Sarah was talking about today was about demonstrating the love of God. It doesn't mean that we don't demonstrate the truth of God. But we do that in the context of demonstrating the love of God. So we want to... I want to just pray a benediction over you and a blessing over you and uh, just to leave with that thought today. Worship team will be playing a song, but you're welcome to go. And maybe you can still catch them for lunch. Whoever God put on your heart, maybe it needs to happen now. I don't know. But Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and empower us to hear what you want us to hear this week, to see what you want us to see, and to do the things you've called us to do. God, that as we go from this place, we would continue to be becoming who you've called us to be. That your life and joy would radiate through our lives into every sphere of influence that you've taken us. That your kingdom would come and that your will would be done in and through our lives. And that the peace that passes understanding would guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. bless you in Jesus' name to go and be who you've been called to be. Amen.